send your Holy Spirit to help us see Jesus as he truly is, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Today's reading from the Gospel of Luke is a Bible scholar's dream come true. There are so many unanswered questions, and I probably spent too much time wrestling with many of them. But I came to realize that all of you really only have one need this morning, and most of you only have one want. First, the one need. We all need to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is for Muslims, atheists, Buddhists, men, women, children, youth, the elderly, and yes, even Christians. Second, the one want. Many of us want church to end in time to watch the Super Bowl. Well, I can promise that you'll get what you need, but I can't promise that you'll get what you want. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I fully intend to finish my sermon by 6 p.m. this evening. I just saw somebody get really nervous. (laughs) But seriously, the one need we all have is to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus. And so this morning, I'd like to look at two questions with you. What does the good news of Jesus mean for the world? And what does the good news of Jesus mean for you? So the first question, what does the good news of Jesus mean for the world? Now, on its surface, the story of Jesus being presented and dedicated in the temple may not seem to have a lot to say about the good news of Jesus for the world. But in fact, the good news of Jesus is revealed long before the start of Jesus' ministry, and even long before Jesus can even do much of anything. After all, in today's passage, he is only an infant. We're used to Jesus causing a ruckus when he's an adult. But here, the infant Jesus is causing a scene in the midst of what is a very ordinary event. A poor family comes to do what is culturally expected at the temple, alongside hundreds of others who are there for the exact same reason. But then Simeon shows up. He picks up the baby Jesus and makes a stunning proclamation that upends what would have otherwise been an ordinary event. Simeon, Luke tells us, has been waiting for the day when God will rescue his people from the oppression of the Romans. This is the consolation he was expecting. And he expects that this will be accomplished through a special person anointed by God, a priest, a king, or a prophet, someone who has been chosen by God, a Messiah. But as Simeon holds Jesus in his arms, he realizes that God has done far more than he expected. And so he says, Master, 
Now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. By now, Mary must be getting used to strange men acting strangely when they encounter her newborn. But she is astonished, and so are the crowds gathered at the temple. They are astonished by what Simeon says about this baby named Jesus. He's holding this newborn and saying that now, right then, he has seen God's salvation. He doesn't say that the baby at some future point will become the means of God's salvation. He says that the baby is God's salvation. So how is a baby God's salvation? St. Augustine, in his commentary on this passage, points out that Simeon's statement about the baby Jesus was inspired by his realization that he was holding the Lord of all creation. The Lord who has a temple on earth where he is, called, where he is supposed to be worshipped and adored. The Lord himself has come to his temple and is held in Simeon's arms. It is Jesus himself in the flesh that is our salvation, not just what he does for us. In other words, what Simeon is saying is that if you want to know what salvation from sin and death is, look at Jesus. And if you noticed in the passage, God himself directs all of the action in the story. The Spirit of God tells Simeon that he will see the Messiah before he dies. The Spirit of God leads Simeon to the temple that day and leads him to a particular infant in that entire crowd. And God leads Anna to come and start telling everyone who Jesus is. All of the action as it unfolds is Spirit-inspired, Spirit-directed, and Spirit-sustained. The story is saturated with the Spirit of God. This is always the role of the Spirit in Scripture, pointing us towards Jesus. And in Simeon and Anna, we get a prefiguration, a foretaste of when the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh, male and female. St. Bede in commenting notes this, both sexes hurried to meet Jesus, offering congratulations since he appeared as the redeemer of both. The salvation of God in Jesus transcends sex and gender. And it also transcends any ethnic groupings we might construct. This salvation isn't just for the Jews. This salvation is for all peoples. All of humanity is included. Simeon tells us that this salvation was prepared in the presence of all the peoples and that Jesus reveals God to everyone. He is the light to the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. If you're here this morning and you're thinking that you don't have a place in God's story because you're too old or too young or too single, or too married, or whatever, 
I'll just say this plainly. You're wrong. God has a place for you. So to answer our first question, what does the good news of Jesus mean for the world? It means that everyone, no matter where you come from or what stage of life you're in, is invited into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You and everyone in the world can have a place in God's story that can only be found by seeing and responding to Jesus. Which brings us to our next question. What does the good news of Jesus mean for you? To answer this question, we need to turn to our reading from Hebrews. In this passage, we are told that God is intimately acquainted with suffering and death because he experienced it firsthand in Jesus. It is good news for us that Jesus is present with us in our sufferings because one of the most terrifying parts of suffering and death is that we have to face it alone. When I was in preschool, I broke my femur and had to be hospitalized for several weeks. I was completely immobilized from the waist down. I was in this full body cast, and I had this sort of harness thing that held my legs suspended above me and prevented me from rolling over. As you can imagine, this was a fairly traumatic event for a four-year-old, and one which I remember vividly. But in the midst of the pain and suffering, there was one fear that dominated all of my thoughts and feelings. My one fear was that I would wake up and find myself alone in that hospital room. And one afternoon, my fear was realized. I woke up and I was alone. My parents, who had stayed faithfully by my bedside in shifts, had slipped away when I had fallen asleep for probably just about 15 minutes or so. But I didn't know that. And when I woke up, all I knew was that I was alone. And I guess the most honest way to put it is that I completely freaked out. When my parents returned, they were very surprised to find that I had broken free of the harness, flipped my whole body over, and was making desperate attempts to claw my way to the door. That should have been the first sign that I was an extrovert. But in that moment, I knew what it was to be alone and terrified. And what Hebrews tells us is that now that Jesus has come, we never have to be alone and terrified. Jesus experienced the ultimate suffering, which is death. Death is the most alone and terrifying thing in human experience. And every person will have to face death. And they'll have to do it on their own. Your parents cannot face death for you as much as they might like to. Your friends cannot face death for you. And death does not come on our terms. Death makes its own terms. Just this week I learned that an elderly gentleman who I used to visit with regularly, has passed away. Six months ago, he seemed strong, vibrant, 
full of life and good cheer. If you had told me six months ago that he would be on his way out today, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Then I received an email the other day that one of my seminary professors and dear friends, who is by no means elderly, has been diagnosed with leukemia. It was completely unexpected. Death, disease, sickness, suffering, all of these come to us whether we are ready for them or not. But as we face these things, we have a choice whether we will face them alone or face them with the God who has conquered death and yet still bears the marks of human suffering. George Everett Ross, an Anglican preacher who faced much suffering in his life, once told a story about a man with a charismatic personality and a magnetic speaking ability who was traveling around the English countryside presenting himself as Jesus Christ returned to earth. He claimed to be able to perform miracles and he quickly gathered a large following of true believers and curious onlookers. One evening he was speaking in a large hall in London when in the distance could be heard the sound of music which was gradually growing louder and louder and louder. Eventually, a Salvation Army band approached the hall, entered the building, and marched right down the center aisle, tubas and trumpets blaring. When the little band reached the stage, the Salvation Army captain motioned to the musicians and the music stopped. Then he turned to the speaker and asked, Are you really the Christ? Tell us plainly. Yes, replied the speaker. I'm the Christ returned to earth. Looking at him, the captain said, Very well then, show us your hands. At that point, the band again began to play the song, I shall know him. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hands. Needless to say, the charismatic speaker lost much of his messianic following. Jesus does not come to us as a God who is distant and removed from human suffering and death. Jesus comes to us as one who has known and continues to know the full depth of human suffering and death. He has the marks of the nails in his hands. So, if you've heard nothing else in today's sermon, hear this. You don't have to face life or death or suffering or anything alone anymore. In Jesus, God has faced all the depths and heights of human experience. He was a newborn baby and a dead man on a cross. He has gone before you, and he will go with you. This is the consolation that Simeon held in his arms. God with us. Simeon was able to depart this life in peace because he had seen God's salvation. This is the very good news of Jesus for you today. 
Jesus can help you bear any burden, survive any grief, and face any fear. He's been there, and he will be there. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. But in addition to being present with us in suffering, Jesus offers us a real and permanent solution to suffering. All human suffering ultimately has its source in human sin. And I mean that in the most general way possible. I am not saying that specific people's suffering is the result of their specific sins. God isn't sitting up in heaven going, Gotcha! I caught you committing a sin. Now I'm going to smite you. It doesn't work like that. But I am saying that all of human suffering is the result of sin. Sin isn't a victimless crime. The whole world has been messed up by sin. Watch the news for longer than five minutes and you'll be astounded at the many ways human sin can mess up the world. And I'm sure your life has been messed up by sin. Your own sin and the sin of others. We are all perpetrators and victims of sin and evil in the world. But here's the thing. Jesus allowed himself to be victimized by human sin and suffering. So he gets it. He knows how much life can stink. And because he knows how bad it is, he is able to have mercy on us. He's the victim of the crime of sin. And because of his mercy for us and his faithfulness to serving God, Jesus died to break the cycle of human sin and suffering. He atoned for our sins and the sins of the whole world by dying on the cross once for all. The author of Hebrews writes, Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus made himself the permanent solution for sin and suffering. Through his death, he destroyed the power of death and sin and offers us life with him now and forever. But we have to turn away from our sins and receive this gift of life with Jesus. I appeal to you, don't see death before you see and respond to the salvation of God in Jesus. Follow Simeon and Anna's example. See the salvation that God has for you. And I don't want anyone to feel pressured, but I do want to provide an opportunity for everyone here to respond in some way. So if you're here this morning, and what I've been talking about is stirring up all sorts of questions for you, then I want you to seriously consider signing up for the Alpha Course, which is starting this Friday. Maybe you aren't ready to commit to this Jesus guy quite yet. But I implore you, 
Don't put off thinking about through these issues of human suffering and sin and salvation until it's too late. Come and investigate Christianity in a safe place where you won't be pressured at all. But today, there may be some of you who identify with Simeon and Anna. You've been waiting for a Lord and Savior. Or maybe you knew Jesus as Lord and Savior, but have lost your way. If that's you, and you are ready to begin or restart a relationship with God through Jesus, there's a very simple prayer I would invite you to pray with me. I'm sorry, please, and thank you. Again, there's no pressure. This is between you and God. But I invite you, if that's you today, pray this along with me silently. May we pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for dying for us on the cross so that we can have life. I'm sorry for the things in my life that have been wrong. I now turn away from everything that I know is wrong, and I now receive your free gift of life, forgiveness, and love. Please come and fill me with your life-giving Holy Spirit to give me the strength to lead the kind of life that deep down I'm longing to lead. Amen. And if you prayed this prayer for the first time today, I encourage you to share that with somebody during the service or after the service. I particularly would love to speak with you about your decision.